what's better than earning money from a nine to five job? It's earning money while you sleep, which is made possible if you start investing. You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Demystified with your very own dynamic duo, Ava Benasaki and August Biniaz. Tune in as we discuss everything real estate, both on the passive and active sides. We feature life-changing stories of today's real estate leaders that will help build your own roadmap to success. This is a show that will lead you to diversified portfolio, a much bigger revenue, and a next level venture that brings you a smooth cash flow. Let's get this episode started. August and everybody listening, we're joined by Jared Ash today. That's right. We are joined by Jared Ash. But before getting into our tremendous guest and his background, which is very interesting and fascinating as it relates to real estate private equity, quick background about life and what's happening. Yesterday, the Fed raised the interest rates by 50 basis points. Yeah, we knew that. As forecasted, it did create a bit of a bull run in the markets. So that is a deviation from the level of interest rates that were increasing, which was 75 basis points for, it was it five times in a row? Yeah, really good news. Way it's good way. news, but they also said they're going to continue raising until they bring a control over inflation. Other things to Just update. following the data on what's happening. Yeah. I'm really optimistic for buyers in 2023 and 2024. So I think everybody just get your investors ready because there's going to be some incredible opportunities that we're going to be able to lock down. Are you talking about distress deals? I'm talking potentially? about the distress deals. Okay, sounds good. For <laughs> sure. I agree. I think I've had four or five conversations that said, look for Q2 for distress deals. For go. sure. The last thing I want to talk about is, you know what? A lot of times, a lot of people watch our show. They don't watch it or listen to it all the way to the end Okay. Yes. where we have our 10 championship rounds to financial freedom, where we ask these 10 questions from our guests, which creates amazing dialogue and conversation. So if you're listening to this or watching this, make sure you watch the show to the end to get to watch and listen to the 10 championship rounds to financial freedom. You really get to know learn more about the guests and then you fall in love with them and you're like, I like that person. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I like Jared because Jared actually told me that he's all about mindset and abundance, which is our kind of people. 100%. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to do a quick bio, which is an incredible bio. So guys, listen up. Jared is a partner in Crown Capital and in charge of building relationships with investors. Jared is a general partner and an investor in apartment buildings in Houston, Texas, Lubbock, Texas, and Louisville, Kentucky. In addition to his work with Crown Capital, Jared is the founder of Capstone Government Affairs. Now, Jared has over two decades of experience in government affairs, economic development consulting, and is an expert at building relationships. Jared has a master's in public administration from American University, and a Bachelor of Science from Florida State University. Now, Jared currently serves in the city of Walnut Creek as a transportation commissioner, and he is on the chairman of Board of Advisors to the Contra Costa County Transit Agency. Jared is a two-time Ironman and an avid triathlete. He lives in San Francisco Bay Area with his wife and three children. August is super excited about that, everybody, because... He, August also I have done a sprint triathlon, which is 50% <laughs> of an actual triathlon. So I barely made it, but I ended up at the top 15% well, uh, getting off the couch and doing it. But Getting off the couch and doing it. There you go. Now, we believe this interview with Jared will bring great value to real estate investors looking to raise more capital and close on larger deals. Welcome, Jared. Thanks Welcome, so much Jared. for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited, guys. Let's dive into things, Jared. Can you just start off by please tell us about your background and your start in real estate? Yeah, I have spent about 20 plus years in the government affairs space and I excel at 
building relationships, as you said, right? I started on political campaigns doing fundraising. And if you're asking somebody for money, you have to know why they want to give and what's going to motivate them. And it's the same thing 20 plus years later in real estate. I started investing in real estate maybe five, six years ago now, started buying single family homes in the San Francisco Bay Area that was too expensive. So I started out of state through a turnkey provider and I own several homes in Memphis and I get nice cash flow. I sat down and did the calculations of do I spend $25,000 on a house and I get like $350 to $500 back in cash and that's that's a pretty good return but on a monthly basis but it wasn't necessarily reaching my goals which was significant cash flow on each month enough to cover my mortgage, property taxes and car payments and car insurance. At the same time, it wasn't saving me enough money monthly to redo the bathroom for my wife instead of putting the 25,000 to a new house. So I said, how do I scale? And that's what led me into the multifamily space was I spent about a year and a half, two years, really just studying the space, watching it and seeing what the opportunities are. And now instead of calling people for a losing political candidate, sometimes winning, it's I'm calling people and saying, hey, can I make you 10% cash back on your investment? Can I double your money over five years in a hard asset? And I'm having a different level of conversation. So that talks about a little bit about me and my mindset. Awesome. Just for me to quickly jump in and break this down a bit more. So you're investing in single family, you want to scale, you get into multifamily and multifamily is an incredible asset class for a legacy asset for people to try to grow their personal wealth and generational wealth. But we're also talking about you getting involved in real estate, private equity in syndications where you're not only only buying these assets for yourself, for your family, you're also raising capital and syndicating deals. Talk to us about when you realized syndication even existed, because for me, being in real estate for well over 10 years, I knew there was large funds. I knew there was Blackstones of the world, but I didn't know that groups could syndicate and just raise capital from retail investors. That's something that way later in my career, I realized and got excited and got involved in this business. What For yourself, what was that? What type of research did you do to even realize that you could raise money from others to buy bigger deals, deals or larger deals or syndicate deals? Yeah, great question. So I think it started by listening to podcasts like this one, right? The real estate guys, bigger pockets, two of the bigger ones in the industry. I was listening to both of those as just an out-of-state single family investor. Like it was important for me just to understand the process and everything. I think along the way, I heard enough people speak and then some other people were doing podcasts and I listened to those people like yourself and myself. And just one conversation led to another. And as I continued to network within the space, which is what I do is build relationships. One person refers me to another, to another, and it starts me on this journey. But I had a goal in mind. And my goal has always been that cash flow number, which pays those couple of key items that I was talking about in life. And that's what's driving me is to hit those goals and to help then others hit those goals. Awesome. Right on. So you mentioned you are a lobbyist still. And yes. could you describe to our viewers and listeners what is a lobbyist and how this background helped you in connecting with more investors? Yeah. So think about me as a middleman. Most of my clients are 
selling something to government more than we're trying to change policy. They would sometimes we are changing policy, but they have a widget to sell to a city hall, to a school district, to a state government agency. Maybe that widget is software. Maybe it's solar panels. Maybe it's gunshot sensors or prisoner communications, whatever it is, we're trying to connect into government to do that. It's a relationship game. And so I'm sort of your middleman, your mayor's golfing buddy, so to speak, and have that relationship and can say, hey, mayor so-and-so, city manager so-and-so, I'm working with a client that does this. Are you interested in that? Does it fit your goal for sustainability, let's say, in the city? Can I provide an introduction for you? And can I help usher this along through bureaucracy? And it's a relationship game for your clients by having those relationships with elected officials, with city officials, state people, I'm able to help move things along for my clients. So it's all about building relationships. Well said. And that's very, very true. Now, I'm really excited to dive into building relationships with investors and talking to you about a a couple items that I'm really excited to get your opinion about. But first question is, when discussing investors, is it quality or quantity? Quality of the investors or the number of, like, or which aspect? So let me dive into this a little bit more, because this is actually something that I'm struggling a little bit here at CPI Capital. We know that building relationships is the number one thing when it comes to keeping investors, building trust with them, and really having them feel like they're taken care of. But when you have so many investors, and it's a good problem to have, when you have so many investors coming through your funnel, how do you keep up with keeping those relationships tight-knit and not losing track of really people. Also, I could add to this as yeah. well, because this is discussions we've had a lot of time as well, is our resources and time are limited. So we can put those resources and time to cater and nurture and communicate with the current investors who are part of our database, or we could put those resources and time into bringing more investors into the funnel. And that's the struggle we have felt inside is should we create more strategies? Should we do more shows? Should we do more initiatives to bring more investors in? Or should we just concentrate on the investors that we have? We're sitting on the sideline who have maybe haven't pulled the trigger and invested with us yet. So maybe you can touch on that side as far as quality and quantity, the difference between it is should be just at all times, should syndication groups or people who deal with investors always be in the pursuit of bringing more investors into their realm, or should they be very focused on finding and refining the investors they have already in their database kind of idea? Because it is a one-on-one relationship that you're trying to build, right? You're not just sending out to a a big database you are, but those investors that you get on a call with, you do have to get on a call with them, maybe on a quarterly basis. I'm looking forward to learning more about how you do it. Yeah. So quality over quantity, but I also believe it's a numbers game. So my theory after talking to a lot of people in the space is if you have 250 to 300 investors, like qualified, accredited people who want to invest, have invested in something else, you will be able to fund any deal from a capital raising standpoint that you have. Now, how do you get 250 to 300 people? You're not going to bat a thousand. So not everybody you're going to talk to or who is following you on social media will fit into that top group of quality 250 to 300 people. Most networking books out there will tell you 250 to 350 people is 
a solid set of relationships that you can maintain professionally on top of like your, the people who you see outside of your kid's school or your spouse, things like you, but to get there, I believe you have to talk to 1200 people, which means you have to outreach to even further. And I became good at political campaign fundraising and nonprofit fundraising when I created this strategy. And I do think it parallels to capital raising for real estate investment, which is to compare it to a big dance in high school. If you are the only guy in the room and there are a hundred women, and you could use this in different scenarios for whatever your preference, women could be do this too. You're going to have to ask all hundred of them out, but not all hundred are going to want to dance with you. And not more than maybe two or three are going to want to ring from you, (laughs) but you're going to choose one of them. And it's about having quick conversations with people about starting the communications, but also finding out who's serious, right? Who wants to invest? And then it's also listening to them. So you build quality relationships with those people. But I think you have to ask a hundred people to dance with you before you can find the 10 that will say yes to a dance and find the ones that you're going to date and the ultimate one that you're going to put the ring on their finger. 100%. An advice that I got about what we're speaking about is just like life, investors are, the the relationship GPs have with investors are very similar to relationship we have in life. Sometimes no matter how much of a kind and a great and awesome person you are, certain people don't automatically don't like you. You just grind their gears and this just happens. It happens to me against others or others to me. It just happens in life. Everybody likes me, August. I was going to say, everybody likes me. (laughs) So they might not like me. So, you know, as a result, they might just, uh, you know, partner with us. uh, Can I talk to Ava, please? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is that there are certain people that doesn't matter how great your deal is. It doesn't matter how great the returns on your deal is. It doesn't matter how great your track record is. They might just not click with you or they might just not align with you. So I totally get that you need to have these large numbers. To, that's why it's called a funnel really in, in sales and marketing is because people come in and then they you end up with the people that align with you, want to mm-hmm. invest with you. There is definitely a balance we need to have in getting people coming into the funnel, also vetting and going through those people. And then, but when you do have that base, that number, I had a smile on my face, when Jared talked about 250 to 350, we have over 500 accredited investors that Ava has spoken with. 600 now. 600 now, yeah. And and not all of them have invested with us. A lot of them are sitting back. We had an investor who has been talking to us for a year and a half to finally invest in our last deal. So we know that it takes time. It takes time. But it is that balance between bringing enough leads through your funnel, vetting them, seeing if you're right fit for them, if they're the right fit for you, because this is somewhat of a marriage. Yes. And then also nurturing those relationships and keeping the communication going. Let me talk about that for a second, which is building that relationship with the investor and how I approach it, right? When I get onto a group conference call and people are like, eh, oh, that's Ava's next question. Don't break it. Ava, go ahead. All right, all right. So, yeah, this is we plan for that we're one. Gonna, we're going to promote this everywhere. So here we go. Before we get to this next question, I just wanted to quickly ask you, an investor signs up, they see they see your content somewhere, they see what you're up to, and maybe they sign up, they want to learn more. Or they come to one of your events, like I showed up the other day. It or, was a great event, by the way. Or they come up to one, one of your events, but they show interest. Now, how many times do you reach out to them and try to get a hold of them 
to see, hey, jump on a call with me or so forth? Or do you let them come to you because they're, you can see they're opening your emails. You can see that they're engaged. So I'm just curious, like how many times would you reach out to somebody to actually get on a call and kind of, kind of force them to connect on that Zoom call to get to know you and then you can make them fall in love with you kind of thing. <laughs> so it's funny because we were just having a discussion with my partners at Crown Capital about this. And I am of the philosophy that I want the investor to slightly come to me and then I'll go get them at that point. So what does that mean? I want them to open, download it and open our ebook. I want not just sign up for our Facebook or LinkedIn page. I want them to attend a meetup and discussion that we're doing. I want something from them. We're offering all this content, all this energy. Are they opening the newsletters? Now, if somebody has been opening the newsletter 20 times, I want to go talk to that person. And so I will chase them for a call. And I'm not running after them and swinging a rolling pin like the little lady in the cartoon. But what I'm doing is I'm going to offer them the time and say, hey, I'd like to talk. I'd like to get to know you and to do that. I don't believe as soon as somebody likes our Facebook page or something that that's when it goes to it. And that's the quality and the quantity balance, right? I want to know that they're interested in me before I put my time into them. But I want to get to know every single person who is also interested in knowing us. If they go a foot, you go a mile kind of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Right, awesome. Okay, Jared. Because we did, we did some research on you, so we didn't want to give up this question. It was, uh, it was... <laughs> all right, all right, go ahead. All right, here we go, Jared. So not to give up any secrets, but you have a very unique concept you follow when connecting with investors. So I'll let you get into it, but it's something about asking how the weather is on an investor call might not be the best question. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are in Canada. It's mid-December when we're recording this. I assume it's a little cold outside, right? <laughs> <laughs> At the same time in Phoenix in July, it's hot. And so when I get onto a group conference call, my theory is if nobody knows each other and they're sort of trying to banter, everybody's like, oh, what's the weather out? Oh, it's great. You know what? Those things are obvious, but that doesn't get to know somebody as an individual. That's not why are they going to invest with you and trust you with their money? That's not what is their why? What is driving them? Why would they want to invest? What do they do for work? What's important to them? And that is essential in building a relationship with somebody. So I laugh at when I get on a call and somebody asks me about the weather because I try to pivot that to knowing what vacation have you taken? What's your dream vacation? What is your son in the Little League World Series championship right now? Is your daughter in a drama class or vice versa, right? Like, What's really important to these people? And I give an example. I was just talking to somebody who is 83 about a month ago in investing, and he wants to get in and out of every deal in less than three years. And why does he want to do that? Because he doesn't feel like he's going to be around in more than four, 83 years old, his words, not mine, to be able to worry about it. He wants in and out of a deal and that's his time period. So I don't want to bring him a deal that's five or seven years because I also don't want to bring him a deal that's an equity play on a turnaround. I want to bring him cash flow because that's what that gentleman wants. Talk to another, a couple who are probably 38, 45, somewhere in that range, have two young kids, are trying to buy their primary residence. 
but they want to get their primary residence out of cash flow from investing and they have a number of other deals. Those are two very different style people, but they both had goals. They both told me about their families and about other people. And so you really just want to know somebody better and what is driving them to invest in you. And when you talk about the quality over quantity, what I did was I talked about starting with these higher numbers at that dance, but I want to find the people that we both want to dance together. Right, right. That makes sense. So just listening to you talk, is it fair to say that when you get on a call with an investor, you really start the conversation off on a personal level? You don't really talk much about business and the returns and, you know, the business model and so forth. Is that, is that fair to say? You really get to know them? I try, yes. Okay, very cool. Not everybody's so open, but so then I just sort of go with the flow. But yeah, I like to get to know people to the best of my abilities just because I like that. And then you could follow up with them. Yeah, that's right. And then may I ask, how long do you usually spend with an investor for the first time? 20 to 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be long. Nobody wants to talk longer than that. I mean, sometimes yeah. they do, but... Yeah. Well over an hour, which each investor calls. Sometimes, not so much anymore, <laughs> but yeah, sometimes the conversation gets going. But I, I booked Laura. <laughs> she's more interesting than I am, so... <laughs> I don't even get any investor calls, so... You know. <laughs> You're not investor relations. Okay, okay. If you want to know, like, just... Something simple like, hey, you're a skier in Northern California. Oh my gosh, there's been so much snow early this year between like mid-November and December. What a great start. If somebody's a skier or boarder, that's a great way just to ping them again and follow up with that relationship. And that is how you continuously build that relationship. And I could generally get that out of people. I mean, some go a little longer, some go shorter, but... Yeah, totally. One of my secrets, and investors love this. I'm not the star. Are of the you giving up secrets of CPI <laughs> capital? We cannot do this intellectual okay, information. Okay, okay. Hey, Abundance okay. mindset, okay? okay right. Abundance mindset. I ask investors, what are you investing in right now? And then we get on that talk about whiskey and all these other cool things. Art, like all Art, these unique yeah, things that we never yeah. thought and about. They get really excited about it. And then, I, and then I talk about my investment, which they're excited about. So, yeah, thanks for sharing all that stuff with us, Jared. I was wondering, do you recommend coaching for investors who want to raise more capital or maybe some other resources, books or courses or yourself? Yeah, I've never gone through a formal coaching program. Two of my partners went through the Michael Blanc program. To me, I like to learn more hands-on than some of these programs. So I've attended workshops. I've attended conferences in the space. I like that aspect. I like participating in panel discussions. I love listening to podcasts. I feel like there is a ton of free content out there where I would hire a sort of coach is in a very specific area that I want to improve. That might be a social media fix, right? How to tell a better story. And I'm working with somebody on a series of one minute videos. And we were going, frankly, from a start of FAQs on like real estate. What does cash flow actually mean? What does conservative underwriting mean? And I'm now looking at changing those to what I like to talk about. I mean, we might still do some FAQ videos for our website, but what I really want to promote is these videos about me and mindset and abundance, because that's what I've spent the last 10, 15 years really studying and getting passionate about. And the advice on that from somebody in the marketing space was tell your story. 
right? People want to know you just like you want to get to know your investors. And so hiring somebody like that, I have found helpful or to solve a technical problem for you on how to automate something that is helpful. And then for other things, the three of us have talked about mastermind groups, moving into running a paid mastermind group where it's holding people accountable, but it's people who are going through the same difficulties and challenges I am at various different periods and coming together to solve them from everybody's own experience in a way that's beneficial to everybody. I love that idea. It's a great segue into our next question. And yeah, we want to talk about mindset and other items. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Earlier, we kind of discussed how you leverage your background in government affairs to excel in your real estate investing business. Now, let's discuss another superpower of yours. So you also do Ironman competitions, which is not an easy thing to do. So maybe you can talk to us about it and connect doing Ironman with the business world. What you should know about me is that I am average. I am nothing special in a lot of ways. Was destined to be middle class. I wasn't picked last on all the teams in high school, but I wasn't picked in the first 10, right? And so I was never believed that I could be wealthy. I never believed that I could be the rock star. That was just not the way I was brought up. But Nobody ever said like, what do you mean you want to do an Ironman? You want to run a marathon after you've biked 112 miles? Oh, don't forget, I have an hour plus swim before that. Really cold water. I've never done a swim in warm water. And when you go and achieve that mindset, when I actually did that physical activity, which the first full Ironman I did, and I did a lot of smaller races along the way, you got to start somewhere, buddy. It's about 11 years ago now. And I think that's what first changed it for me, because once I realized I could do something physically that nobody believed I could ever do, that I never believed I could do. I didn't say I was winning the Ironman. I'm a finisher, but I'm proud of that. And I made decent time. That told me I could go do anything I want in life. And that led me through a cousin, through a best friend, starting to read books, listen to audiobooks, podcasts, all about improving my mindset overall in every area of my life. Amazing. Yeah, we really look up to that, just kind of being, we call it a supreme being, but having that discipline just shows you discipline within business every day. Like I always say, have discipline. When you get up in the morning, make your bed. You've started the day off with success. But doing the Ironman just programs your brain to have discipline in everything else. And August and I are big believers in that and the way that we live our yeah, life. We might be doing the spring triathlon here in UBC. Yeah. And Ava is not a very good swimmer. But, but, but I'm a fast runner. Yes. So maybe I'll... You are. Maybe I'll... You know what? I'll tell you, I'm a fast swimmer. I get out in the top 15% and running was never my thing. Oh. And by the time you get to the run course... All the runners are passing you because it's further to run, more time on running than in swimming. So don't worry about it. Okay. Thank you for that. All right. Great. Let's get to the next segment of our show. Thank you so much for your transparency and sharing all your golden nuggets with us. We're into the next segment of our show. All right. The 10 championship rounds to financial freedom. So whatever comes top of mind, are you ready for this? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Who was the most influential person in your life? I'm going to go back to probably my grandfather and my elementary school principal, who I should also point out was my next door neighbor. And my grandfather, my mother's father was 
he just was my driving force. He was my rock in life when I needed it. And I think that principle was just so friendly, so encouraging, just inspired education and life and just the two of them. Awesome. Wonderful. Okay, next question, Jared. What is the number one book you'd recommend? I'm a big fan of Hal Elrod's The Miracle Morning series. It is just this concept of getting out of bed first thing in the morning, almost before the rest of the world wakes up and starting your day off right and how to do it with affirmations and exercise and journaling and meditation to just really get your body and mind into that right spirit. Okay, next question. If you had the opportunity to travel back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? That you will be successful, that there is more to life than what you are being told to look at that bigger picture, that the whole concept of mindset and abundance to your riches. Right on. Nice. I love that. Okay, Jared, what's the best investment you've ever made? Proposing to my now wife. Very sweet. Okay. Now, what's the worst investment you've ever made and what lessons did you learn from it? In 2007, I was living in Miami South Beach at the time, so the other end of the country, and I bought a condo that was overpriced that with no money down on one of these like low interest, interest only deals, which was exactly what was the mortgage crisis that led to the Great Recession of 2008 was. And I walked away losing money even after I had moved out of the place and walked away to pay off debts and everything else. I just didn't know what I was doing. I was following a fad and I didn't really study real estate or investing at that time. And so it's actually part of what's led me to this is taking the time to learn about real estate and do things right. As a general partner, you definitely have to had gone through some of those blood, sweat and tears times. We all got to have a nightmare story. It makes you stronger. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Except for me, I think I just graduated in 2007 high school. Yes. <laughs> so I didn't get to go. Next question, Jared. How much would you need in the bank to retire today? What's your number? You know, I've never put that together because right now I believe in acquiring just more. So I would look at a cash flow number more than money in the bank. And if that's the case, I'd want the equivalent of to fully retire of four to $500,000 per year coming in in cash flow. Passive. I like that you said that because you actually started off by talking about how you were calculating your bills and how much passive income do I have to make to pay my mortgage, my car payment, my insurance. That's the amazing number. I love it when people say that because it gets the listeners thinking about that's possible. Wow. I want to work towards that. So thanks for sharing that. Next question. If you could have dinner with someone dead or alive, who would it be? The two of you, let's meet. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Dinner on us. Meet in the middle somewhere. Let's do it in person, not just on Zoom. 100, brother. 100. Perfect. Now, if you weren't doing what you're doing today, what would you be doing now? I'd be a lifeguard on a tropical island somewhere and maybe a ski instructor. Nice. <laughs> Saving lives. Saving lives. <laughs> All right. Oh, this is my favorite question. Book smarts or street smarts? Because there are both. You've got to have EQ, emotional intelligence, to be really successful in this life. But you need to always be be reading a book and doing things and learning. But I'm a hands-on learner. So that's the street smart. Right on. Okay, last question, Jared. If you had a million dollars cash and you had to make one investment today, what would it be? 
Our next deal that's coming up, 8% cash on cash, 16% IRR on your return. Woo! Nice. That there sounds, you go. That sounds he believes in his own product. <laughs> there you go. Awesome, man. All right. Perfect, Jared. Really quickly, please let everybody know what is the best way that they can reach you. Yeah, you can find me, Jared Ash, A-S-C-H, on LinkedIn. I am the only one on LinkedIn with that spelling. And you can follow Crown Capital Corp on LinkedIn, as well as go to www.crowncapitalcorp.com. Awesome, awesome, man. Thanks, Thanks for brother. Being. Have a great holiday. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We hope this conversation enlightened you on how to win big in this highly profitable and risk-adverse space. Get on your feet and embrace this world that offers so many opportunities just waiting for you out there. Continue your journey to becoming a savvy real estate expert by subscribing to the show at cpicapital.ca. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and share with your friends. See you on the next one.